Hello, everyone, and welcome to another bonus episode of Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. Before we get started, I just wanted to give a big thank you to some of my very first supporters on Patreon, Don Mike, Greg Blazer, and Eric Crow. Thank you guys so much for your support, and if I could, I'd go over there right now and give you all a big, big hug and a big French kiss. If you haven't had a chance to check out the Patreon page, you'll find several tiers. Now, all tiers are 18 years and over only. Depending on what tier you select, patrons will have early access to podcast and bonus episodes, as well as exclusive access to other bonus material, including some more risque material that you won't be able to find on traditional podcast platforms. So I'm really excited to be getting that going. All pledges will go towards maintaining the cost of keeping up the podcast, as well as continue to make it possible to keep hearing these very important personal stories from voices throughout the leather community. For today's bonus episode, we have Mr. Regiment 2015, otherwise known as Dr. Rod Mercado. Dr. Mercado is here to talk about some very important topics concerning sex, prep, and what to consider during these trying times of COVID-19. So sit back, relax, grab a cocktail, grab your poppers, and get ready for some more leather talk. So hello, everybody. This is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. And today I have Dr. Rod Mercado. Yeah, so I either go for by Rod or Rodrigo. That's fine either way. So okay. yes, I'm Rod Mercado. I'm a physician, a general physician, and I work focusing on HIV prevention. And uh, my, my practice is with Kaiser Permanente. I'm a Latino. I was born and raised in Mexico. I moved to the U.S. when I was 27. Uh, and I've been part of the letter community since uh, about six years, and I won a letter title, Mr. Uh, Regiment Leather, in, in 2015. All right, awesome. Well, before we get into some some of the, the deep topics that I wanted to talk about, uh, I just thought it was so funny, like finding out that you are a leather title holder, um, and you've been my doctor for maybe like the last year since I, I moved over to uh, North Hollywood area. Do you find that a lot of people are surprised of that? Um, yes and no, because the people who know me in the community or community, I've already been friends with them for a little while. And those, a lot of them have become my patients after that. And I welcome them anytime. Uh, and with my gay patients who don't know anything about the community, it's a little striking, but at the same time, it's a good point of connection to make them feel comfortable and more free about being open to tell me anything they want. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking about that earlier with Steve V. Rodriguez in a, in a previous episode. And he was saying, you know, we were just talking about how we can kind of talk openly uh, about different things in, in the in the in the gay lifestyle, I guess you could say. I, I mean, I remember having to explain what a cockering was to one of my doctors. <laughs> 
I think even if you are not uncomfortable saying it, a lot of times if it's someone who's not familiar, you have to explain yourself. Right. And that, that makes it uncomfortable. Even you're like, I don't care if they know what I do, but if when they're stroke with, I don't even know what you're talking about, and you have to start from scratch, that is not only kind of embarrassing, but it takes a long time and it distracts from getting to the point where it's actually getting your best healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so how, when did you become a doctor? Uh, well, I went straight through school, medical school and everything all straight. And I graduated from Mexico, uh, University of Guadalajara in 2006. And I moved here in 2007. And I started practicing right away. Uh, 2009, I was already finishing some uh, scholarship in UCLA and move forward through my residency until I got hired as a primary doctor here in North Hollywood. Awesome. And so I, I'm curious, do you see, I mean, is, do you primarily see a lot of, of LGBTQ plus patients because of the fact that you are gay? Not because I'm gay, because I'm passionate about helping in that sense and because people feel comfortable, but no, my panel is very diverse and we carry it couple thousand patients in our panel and i will say about 25 percent to 30 percent of my lgbtq uh, patients that i do see on a regular basis that's awesome and i'm curious um and maybe this is just kind of a naive question of mine but i'm curious if there are any differences that you find in caring for uh, the lgbt community patients versus any other patient uh no i mean every there's peculiarities in every every community with the gay patients actually in my opinion to me is easier because i have a connection with them and mm -hmm. i think i talk to my patients as a friend which is a very difficult thing for a lot of doctors to do even for me for some of my patients who are in the older side or like other walks of life is a little more difficult to treat. I have to be on a different perspective. But with my gay LGBTQ patients, everything is, I, I feel like I'm in the same level. I can talk to them very openly and I can even share my own health or my own experiences without having any qualms of them being feeling judged or, or feeling that they are getting too much information or I don't know. It's just easier for me. Right, right. That that totally makes sense. I, sort of like you're on the on the same playing field, I guess you could say. And I, yeah, I could step into a place where I'm maybe oversharing or maybe overly comfortable about asking them questions they don't feel comfortable about being asked. But almost ninety percent of the time, it just it works really fine. It's, mm -hmm. it's really comfortable. That's really awesome. Um, now, how do you separate? work and and play i mean you must be busy i i don't think i've actually ever seen you outside of the doctor's office so do you spend time out in 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 the gay community on your free time or or is that kind of limited i do uh probably not as much as i used to when i was mr regimen 2015 but i still do and go out frequently um uh, so being gay and being a leather man and being a doctor all goes together. Mm -hmm. But what is where is work is work. And things sometimes have gotten into where someone shows into my office completely not knowing who I was. And they're like, oh, I know you. We've, we have seen each other before or uh, I've seen you out. And that's completely fine. But there is a very fine line. At what happens in the office is absolutely work. And if someone has become a patient after that, 
I'm completely fine to be friends because there's there is a there is a good balance of being friends and actually a couple of my very good friends are my, my patients and we we are good at separating things what is what is friendship and what is being a patient doctor relationship yeah so it sounds like you're wearing like a lot of different hats and i can i guess i can relate a little bit with you know so i'm a violinist and i, I teach violin lessons um mostly to younger kids but also to uh, adult students as well and some of my adult students listen to the podcast or seen me out before and it's so funny. I I actually saw one of my students over at the the Bullet one night, and he was like shocked. He saw me in my my all my leather, and and it's like, you know, as long as we can continue to separate the two, like when you're coming into my space, you know, for a violin lesson, like this is professional. You know, I'm here to give you like the best quality, you know, experience as a musician first and foremost, and then outside of this space, we can be you know, friends. And, and, and as long as we can put that separation between those two experiences. We all have a, a private life and a so not private life and a professional life. Mm-hmm. And they're not, they're not completely separate. They over, over take of each other. So have a fun experience. About two years ago, I think it was the first gay pride by the bullet, you mm-hmm. know, the, the street affair. And like two weeks after that, one of my patients was in my clinic and he's like oh so did you go to uh san fernando valley pride by the bullet i'm like yeah i was there uh were you uh, in the bullet i was like yes i was there were you wearing a uh, red jock strap i was like oh no where you were going <laughs> so, <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> yes you saw me there why didn't you say hi there is no secret about me being out and be going out to to bars to a gay festival and if you see me out there, just come and say hi. There's, obviously, I'm out in public, so there's nothing that I'm ashamed of that I'm doing. Right, right. I think that's really awesome that you own up to it. It just makes me, it just reminds me of that that quote from Mean Girls, um, where she sees her teacher and she's like, oh, I love seeing teachers outside of school. It's like watching a dog walk on its hind legs. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's really, really awesome. Well, let's get into it a little bit because I have plenty of questions for you. Um, Some more gay, LGBT focused, others just more generally focused. And I think I want to ask you the question I think that everybody's wondering is, what is the dynamic right now? What should we be considering when going on Grindr and going on Recon and finding partners to hook up with? I mean, is that something smart to do or, or what are some things that we should be considering? Well, it depends on what you're doing. So going on applications to talk and chat with people, I think is something there is nothing, no harm in doing. And a lot of times that's the place where you reconnect people you know and people you've maybe even have a close relationship with and that's okay. I say going on a completely random, someone you don't know and you don't know whether they're really following a good social distancing or the cells being healthy or whatever. So that is a, that's a risk and I don't endorse it, but Hey, everybody makes their choices. And I don't, I think if you're going to do that, you should know the consequences and maybe at least isolate yourself from your loved ones or other people. So your decisions that don't affect others, I would say that's not what I would do or what I would advise you to do. But if you have like a, a friend who, you connect through Grinder or connect through Scruff and you see them sometimes, but you just reconnect with them and you have the trust to ask them, hey, how you been? Have you been healthy? Uh, and get past just being horny. So being honest with each other, 
I think that's okay. I think that's, it's a really hard time. It's been very long. And for gay life, gay, sex lives, it's, it's an eternity. Mm-hmm. But you should, you should be cautious for sure. So what about being asymptomatic? How, I mean, that's what's been on my mind. I I do have, you know, personal friends who have said, you know, I haven't been out. I haven't done anything. Like, what do you say? Like, let's hook up. Uh, And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, what if you're asymptomatic? Is that something to consider as well? Or is that kind of not such a big deal? No, absolutely. That's, That's one of the biggest things, the hardest or most complicated thing to go by. But it comes to what you are doing. So let's say, oh, I've been doing everything by the book and I'm staying home and I go to the grocery store and I have a really planned trip where I get everything I need in one trip and I come home and do my basic cleaning, everything. I think that's fine. But for example, one of the biggest conversations I have with my with my friends that if we only reconnected with a couple of friends and they're like the first question is like, I haven't been to the hospital in four weeks because at the beginning I was going to see patients in the COVID tent. And so I I always put myself up, am I a risk to them mm-hmm. versus are they a risk to me? Because I'm making the choice, but they're not making the choice for themselves if I don't tell them what I'm doing. I see. So if if you, and there is a chance that I could have been exposed where I was at the supermarket getting groceries, but I did my best to do it and I did it in the most limited situation versus, oh, I just broke quarantine and had a bunch of people over and had a party. That's a different, different right. scenario. Yeah. Now, are there any sexual activities that are less risky? I, I know, I mean, as far as my knowledge, it is tra- coronavirus is transferred through droplets. I don't know if that information is old or not, but what about things like if, if you're not, <laughs> if you're wearing a mask and you're fisting, for example, or wearing a mask and having mutual masturbation, you know, some kind of activities like that? Are those more safe or does it not matter? I don't think it matters at all. Sexual encounters are intimate. And even if you wear a mask, there may be some exchange of uh, skin touching or even the fisting part. So are are you going to sanitize yourself from head to toe before you go in there and then don't touch any of your... It's very difficult. So intimate intimate contact is definitely... one of the highest risk of getting COVID. So basically what it comes down to is your original point is, is to make that decision with somebody that you trust and know the risk. Absolutely. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Now I did want to ask you actually a, a little bit about prep during this time, because I, I myself have, have been on prep and I was just thinking, do I even really need to take it right now? Because I haven't had sex with anybody besides my partner at home for like 10, 11 weeks now. Is it smart to continue taking prep or is this a time where we can take a break? So I've been giving my patients either choice because a lot of them have said, I want to continue it because when I started taking it a few years ago, I had a hard time getting on it. I had side effects at the beginning that had just worn off and I don't have them anymore. And so they don't want to get off of it for three months and then get back to a month, a month and a half of having problems with their digestive system or even mild symptoms that are not worth for them taking a break when they haven't had any damage or any side effects anymore for years. Um, And another thing is like a lot of patients are really conscious about wanting to do quarantine 
to 100%, but knowing that, hey, I might break it at some point, and that might be more than my willpower can take, but I want to be prepared at least in the one thing that I can control. Mm. Like, they, they might not be able to, to prevent COVID-19, but they're able to prevent HIV. And another side of that is that a lot of my patients are in a disconcordant relationship. So one is positive, then was negative. So they continue taking it, although being positive or undetectable is still very safe. Most of my patients choose to do one prep on this uh, treatment. Mm -hmm. And that's completely up to every personal safety level or feeling of safety. Now, I, I've heard people talk about, I've heard people mention before, oh, um, you know, those with compromised immune systems are, are more, are at a higher risk to, to have an infection, a deadly infection, really, uh, of coronavirus. But, you know, I'm thinking, but if you're positive and undetectable, your immune system isn't really compromised. Uh, is that, am I thinking about that in the right way? Or is it if you're positive, even if you're, even if you're undetectable, you're still at a higher risk? Yes, you're still high risk. It doesn't it doesn't matter about the status that you're on undetectable right now. That's great and that, that is important, but it also depends on where your trajectory on being positive is. So if you are someone who became positive in the nineties and you have gone through a lot of different uh, treatment styles and your immune system has suffered through years you are in a, a more compromised state. If you're someone who became positive a year or two ago and we're lucky to know immediately when it happened, you got a medications, you are undetectable now, you're in a good shape. You're in good shape. Still, I will say, if you get COVID and there's complications for other reasons other than HIV, you still are at higher risk compared to someone who doesn't have HIV. I see. So, so it still is a disadvantage. I don't think it's a big percentage or a big difference besides the length, the timing, and the history of your HIV uh, status. So, you know, here's what I, I, I was thinking is a lot of people I think are starting to compare, you know, one epidemic to, or pandemic really to the other of HIV versus COVID. And the big difference that I see is, is if you're going out and having a sexual encounter and you get HIV that way, I mean, you had to have had some sort of you know, fluid exchange in order to get HIV. So really, you're taking that risk for yourself individually. And when you come home, unless you have sex with the members of, that live in your immediate household, like you're not really putting them at risk per se. But coronavirus, let's say you have like a positive partner at home and you go out and you hook up with someone you, and you're asymptomatic and you come home. Now, like even without having sex with that partner at home, you're still exposing them. You're, it, it, it's just going to travel faster. So there are two different sides of COVID-19 versus HIV. Number one, COVID-19 would, for most people, not be life-threatening. And you will get over it. And that's, that's the end of the story. For HIV, we had treatment, no cure. And you have to continue dealing with it for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So that's two things to consider. In the, and then getting HIV... Obviously, it's, it's a different type of contact, it's, and it's a, unless it's non-consensual, it's a deliberate decision to do something. Mm -hmm. So you can only get HIV when you are in a sexual contact with a person, but you can get COVID just by your interaction with a cashier or your interaction with someone on the transportation system. So that those are 
two different big scenarios. It's much more, I don't want to say inevitable to get COVID, but it's, it is difficult to control it when it's very, both are invisible, but there is it's less tangible to where your risk factors are with COVID versus with HIV. If you know that you're being sexually active and you're making the decision to have sex with or without protection, that is your decision. So that's, those are two things that are very different. And the consequences are also very different. Both are obviously deadly and serious. Very small percentage of people die from COVID, but it's still a very risk because it's random. Doesn't guarantee you because you're young and healthy that you're going to just survive it. Yeah, you have a better chance, but you're still spinning the wheel. Now, uh, you know, at the beginning of this, a lot of people were saying like a big, you know, buzzword or buzz phrase was, you know, more people die of, of the flu every year. Now, is that still true or is that something we can keep saying? No, I don't think it's true. And I think it's developing on the, the answer is still developing. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't know what a full season or a full cycle of this virus is going to be. Uh, depends on how into the community and the the actual changes we're making to to social distancing and all the preventative stuff. Even if we're not doing it great, we're doing something different. Mm -hmm. With flu, we don't even think about it. People just go around their day, and there's still a, some good percentage of disease and mortality. But with COVID-19, I, I think we have really put a damper on it because we've been good in some way to do preventative measures. But we don't know the answer yet. COVID might be more deadly, but we still to, still yet to see the full math. Mm -hmm. So uh, w what are your recommendations for things that we can do to prevent ourselves from becoming infected with the virus? Uh, are, is it enough to continue social distancing and wearing our masks and hand sanitizer? Yes, to all of that. But still, you have to start opening your your life a little bit and but smart ways to keep your bubble your friends a close group of friends who you you maybe are able to socialize once a week with them only and they're and also keeping another three social groups it's just you and i mean three or four people who get together and they go about their normal lives with all the care that they can continue to do i think that's smart mm -hmm. i don't think going to the bars this last weekend was a good idea for some i saw that some bars opened i don't think that's okay but um it's everybody's choices you, know? you you're an adult and people make adult choices right now uh one more question about the 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 COVID 19 how do you let's say somebody in your in your family has tested positive and you've decided you know to isolate yourself from that person and they've gotten better they recovered how do you begin integrating your life back with that person? Is there a certain amount of time that you should wait after they've recovered? How do you go about doing that? Okay, so that there's a very clear formula. So if someone has been diagnosed with COVID-19 and you have symptoms, a person has symptoms, it has to be at least three days of no fever, no cough, and no shortness of breath. So 72 hours without those symptoms and without using medication. So if you still have to take Tylenol to bring down your fever, you're still symptomatic until three days go by that you have none of those three symptoms and you're feeling good, that's just okay to reintegrate into the community. Or let's say you, you have been sick for three days and you're on day six 
you should wait at least seven days from the beginning of your symptoms. So it's seven days from the beginning and three days after you're done with symptoms. And if you're not symptomatic, for some people don't have any symptoms, they just get tested and they're positive, that's more tricky. You have to wait 14 days from the diagnosis, which is more frustrating because you don't have symptoms, but you still, we don't know where you are. So the safe thing to do is to go longer. Now, are these tests fairly accurate? I mean, I, I'm curious because like my mother actually had uh, pneumonia like right a- around the onset of COVID-19 and she went to get tested and it came back negative. And I was, I'm just, she's never had pneumonia before. So she's convinced she had COVID-19 even though the test says negative. So the test that we've been using broadly, it is, the test is really good. Is the the administration of the test that could be different. So it's a swap. If the person who does the test for you, if you do it yourself too, don't do the swap all the way to the nasal pharynx, to the back of the nose, and you don't get a good sample collection, that's when the test might not be as good. Mm-hmm. But if you're saying that you, you, you're confident about the collection of the sample, the test should be good. That okay. is the answer. Yeah. I want to talk about uh, PrEP and the Scoby versus Truvada. Sure, Absolutely. Because that's the big thing that I've been dealing with, and uh, it's kind of concerning about how we, we we have, as a community, we are being managed by misinformation. Because the Scovy and Truvada are very similar drugs, and both are wonderful. And Truvada has a track record of more than a decade of being out there and doing a really good job of preventing HIV, and it has a risk. And by the uh, pamphlet, it says that it's 4% risk of kidney uh, insufficiency or kidney problems. By, that's what it says in the pamphlet. I think by my practice that I've been doing this for more than five, six years, that there is very low risk of kidney problems with Truvada. That's in my practice and my experience as a doctor. And obviously, there has been some people who have some uh, problems but because also most of the people who have those problems were having some kidney issues before from hypertension, from diabetes, and things like that. Now, the SCOBY comes up, and it's a new drug. I want to go back to the timing of this. So the SCOBY has only been around for about a year. And a lot of the patients, when I started, when we are doing Truvada, their questions like, well, Truvada is a new drug. I don't know what's going to happen. What is the long-term effect? I have some fear of what's the future of it. Okay, so we know what Truvada has been around for 10 years, and now all of a sudden there is a new drug that has been around for less than a year, and people are going bunkers about it because it's, they're being told that it's better. Okay, it is better, but let's put it in context. Truvada has a 4% risk. The SCOBY has a 3% risk of kidney dysfunction. The changes on that possibility is tiny. And the reason they're being told that it's better is because Trubata is going out of patent. So it will become generic, produce, it's already approved for generic, but no one's producing it. But as soon as it's being made by generic prices, then the company who makes it will lose money because people need to switch to Descobi to keep their profits. Mm. So the bottom line to me is I want access. I want my community, my patients to keep preventing HIV. And if you have no kidney problems, if there is no high risk conditions for you, you should be in trouble. Access to the medication is the most important thing. If your insurance 
down the line tells you that the SCOBY is too much money and you should go back to Truvada and you have no medical conditions to be on the SCOBY, you should do Truvada. If you change to the SCOBY, you, there is a big chance that you might be asked to be switched back to Truvada based on your conditions and your income and your risk for uh, kidney dysfunction. So in general, unless your doctors told you that you have a high a higher risk for kidney dysfunction, it is not worth to switch to, to a new drug that is works just the same to prevent HIV. All right, that that clears up a, a lot of um, I think uh, discussion about the d- differences between Discovy and Truvada. Because you're right, as I'm scrolling through Facebook, I see those those uh, lawsuit posts, and I'm just it, it it seems to be scaring some people. You know, I think that the lawsuit the the lawsuit phishing ads on Facebook, yeah, they're bad, and I'm, it's sad that a lot of my patients are falling for that. But what it makes me more uncomfortable, and I have not yet addressed it, is that some of my friends in the leather community or some of my friends in the gay world have put up things on on Facebook saying, oh, get off, get off, get off Truvada because it's the worst drug ever, and whatever happened gets to the SCOBY. And I think those are very bad, small information bits that are not completely put in, in, a, in, a, in the whole background. You don't see the whole context of it. There might be something else going on. There might not even be a problem with them, but they were just told that it was better. But if you, if if uh, there's an ad from whomever, I don't know, it, there's some chance that I believe it. But if I see a posting from one of my friends that I know, if I don't know the right answer, I'm going to believe my friend. Right. So th- those are the ones that worry me the most. And I think we should we should not be out there saying information that we are not the experts on. Right. Okay. So really knowing the context and being being informed, and it seems to be more of a case-by-case basis on whether or not you could be on Truvada or, or Discovy is what you're saying. Exactly. But if someone who's very popular in the community, someone who I know very well, says that on Facebook, like, oh, I had to, I had a trouble from the Truvada, I had to get off of it. Don't ever do it again. You know that that reaches a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're someone who has some say or some popularity within the group. So that's, I, I've seen that a, a quite a few, in a few instances, and, and then it gets around to everybody. You know? Well, uh, you certainly are a figure in the leather community, and now we are hearing it straight from a doctor's mouth. Um, so I think we'll take this with a lot, of, uh, with a, a lot to consider what you're saying here. Well, I did want to ask you one thing because I did experience this, uh, and uh, I, I mean, you know, firsthand <laughs> uh, is you know myself, and I know many other people are maybe a little bit hesitant to go in and do their regular STD testing and and such. Um, is that something that we should be avoiding right now, or is that sort of a unfounded fear? Great question. Uh, no routine testing, at least not not immediately, not right now. Maybe that would change in the middle of June, early July. But since March, I've been advising no testing just for screening, not just for I want to know. I will continue to test someone with symptoms, test someone who's been told that he he was he or she was, was exposed, but not just for the heck of testing. Um, and about my, my prep patients, my routine is that I test my patients every three months. But 
even FDA and CDC recommend that it could be six months and that's okay. Uh, so for this, during these circumstances, I'm advising my patients to skip this, this cycle of testing. We can test again in, in, at the six month mark because if they've been stable and no signs of any side effects, any problems for the last three or four years since they have been prepped, skipping a three month checkup will be okay. But if it's, it's okay to skip it, but don't, I, I will suggest not only because of your, your, um, your sake of being exposed, but also decreasing the amount of foot traffic in medical offices is very important. Um, and, and, you know, and maybe you don't know this off the top of your head or not, I didn't really prepare you for it. Uh, but I, I have come across a couple people who have lost their jobs and then, you know, because of that have lost their health insurance. Are there ways that we can still access PrEP uh, without insurance at this time? Yes. I don't have the update on how to go around it because when my patients before COVID lost their insurance, I will refer them to LA County or LGBT Center. Uh, But I don't know the workflow currently. Okay. Um, yeah, no worries. I was just curious if you knew that. And uh, if you do have access to that information, I can also link it in the description below for, for those who might need it. I'll try to find some, some information about that. Awesome. Uh, before we get going, any uh, last statements you would like to make to the community before we get going here? Well, I say, I would think that being uh, safe around the situation for COVID-19 is a very important situation to be honest to what you're doing to, pre- to prevent your own infection. And then that way you, you expose less people around you from you being the person who's doing it right. Don't leave it to other people to be safe. You're, you're the one who should be safe. Um, about HIV prevention, which is my passion, is what I work for all the time is the more people we can get on, on prevention treatment, the more people we can get on treatment to to get undetectable, the best we can do. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, and uh, we hope to hear from you soon. Sounds good. Thank you, Brendan. Before we go, I'd just like to remind all of our listeners that even though Los Angeles is beginning to reopen, there are still several organizations within the leather community that are there to help. The LELC Cares is offering a lifeline and a helping hand. The Bullet Bar Pantry is offering supplies. The LA Leather COVID-19 Assist is offering a delivery service and much, much more. So if you or anyone you know is in need, please reach out. I will have links in the description below. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Facebook as Brandon Bullet. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay kinky.